This is how it works. This is the game. And when no one is being held accountable, not investigators, because whenever they do anything wrong, everyone just says, they're overworked. They have too many cases. They're not paid enough. They're working too many hours. They always have an excuse. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hello once again, my friends. You have found yourself here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 132. I'd like to invite you over to our website, Lions of Liberty, to check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 132. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you all about our great sponsors at LibertyManiacs.com, your home for all the political and satirical gear you can handle. As a listener of the show, you can receive a 10% discount off your entire order by using the discount code, you guessed it, Lions of Liberty. And if you're one of the many, many people becoming frustrated with your Obamacare mandated insurance, be sure to check out the alternative. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have set up for you guys. You can find out more about that over at lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is a former agent for Child Protective Services who is now a whistleblower speaking out against that very organization. He is the author of Legally Kidnapped, the case against Child Protective Services. You can find his work at legallykidnapped.net. And not only that, he is also the host of the Libertarian Atheist Podcast. Carlos Morales, welcome to the Lions of Liberty Podcast. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you here, Carlos. And we'll talk about your CPS activism in a moment, but why don't you just start off telling us how you first became familiar with libertarian ideas. Was that before your involvement with CPS? It was actually before my involvement in CPS. There was a show called uh, Bullshit on uh, Showtime by Penn & Teller when I was about 15 or 16. That's actually when I was first introduced to... Uh, skepticism, atheism, and libertarianism all at once. So I got a lot to be thankful for when it comes to uh, Penn Jillette as far as my life and uh, and the things that came out of it after that. Um, so I ended up getting kind of introduced to the whole minarchism and Ayn Rand ideas. And when I was about 18, and either it was like late 2005, early 2006, I got introduced to Stefan Molyneux, uh, people know him from freedomainradio.com, around then. And after just listening to his first like two or three episodes, I was like, oh, wow. On an ethical and practical level, anarcho-capitalism is kind of the only ethical system. Um, so from there, it, that just kind of jump-started the whole thing. Now, I decided to start working for Child Protective Services even though I was an anarchist because I had convinced myself that, that was the only way to be able to protect kids within our society. It wasn't really legal to step in on people hitting children, um, but it was legal for Child Protective Services to come after those particular people. And at the time, that's what I thought justice was. I thought justice was using force against people after the fact. What I found quite quickly, though, was that it was not nearly that black and white. And then in many cases, especially when I was working for CPS, um, what we were doing was unjust, unethical, uh, immoral, and just plain wrong by anyone's definition of wrong, unless, of course, that person is a sociopath. So that's really interesting. You went to work for CPS even after coming into libertarian ideas, even after thinking, you know, government or coercive government like we have today isn't really the way to go about things. But you still saw it as maybe, you know, in our present society, this is the avenue that I can use to help children. So you did actually come at it from a a point of of wanting to make a difference in the world. Did you find that that was a common attitude uh, among other agents or were a lot of people just kind of in it because, hey, it's a job, they're paying me, it's a steady income and that kind of thing? Well, to be fair, you know, whomever was the investigator at the time had different reasons for joining. I believe that some people had this yearning, this want to help others. Though what I found 
was that in many of the cases, it was people who were either lifetime bureaucrats or didn't know what to do with their life. This was a safe job in the sense of you're not going to get fired. Your chances of getting fired are very low, which is the same for most government workers. It was also kind of an exciting job because you get to go home and say, hey, I'm a hero. I protect children. Now, did many of these people actually have backgrounds in child care and psychology and dispute resolution or forensics? No, the vast majority did not. And as I outlined in my book, the training practices by which these investigators are taught to do those particular things because they are held responsible for dispute resolution to tell whether or not a bruise came from a, from a fall or a punch. If any of these particular things occurred, that's what the investigator has to assess. And when you think about the fact that they're only getting about two months of training, um, it's a really tragic situation when he put it all together. It's a situation that only the government could have created such an inf- uh, inefficient and evil mess. Even within this inefficient, evil mess, as you call it, can we just start with looking at whether there was any good done through CPS? Were there certain cases that you saw where you said, okay, I mean, this is legitimate abuse. These children do need to be removed from this home. Well, it's kind of the seen and unseen costs, right? So there will be a particular situation where, say, there is violence being used against children. And I go in there, I swoop them up and throw them into a foster home. You know, now my hands are clean and society's better, supposedly. When you take a look at the statistics, though, on how those foster kids end up, it's generally not very great. Um, they're seven to eight times more likely to be physically or sexually abused and six times more likely to die than if they stayed in an impoverished household. They're also three times more likely to be put on psychotropic drugs. And a vast majority of these people also end up homeless whenever they end up aging out. So when I speak to, say, public school teachers or principals or, you know, these different people who have dealt with CPS in the past and they go, well, I called CPS and they took care of the situation. What they don't see is, well, if we didn't have a monopolistic organization that is committing force upon all these different children, maybe there could have been better options. But the problem is as soon as you insert government, as soon as you insert a course of monopoly, you never get to see what real solutions could have actually looked like. Instead, if all you have is a hammer, every single thing looks like a nail. Every single time we ended up using brute force, every single time we ended up, even in cases where there was real abuse, we sometimes made the situation even worse. That's really interesting, the points you bring up about the foster homes, because most people would think, all right, the kids removed from the, the bad situation, whatever it may be, whether it's neglect, abuse, etc., and okay, everything's better, and they, they don't think about what happens after that. And I mean, I happen to know somebody that when she was you know a teenager, she actually went to her school to, to basically out her parents as abusive, as neglectful as, as they were, and uh, the school obviously you know went through the process, went to CPS, she was eventually removed from her household, and that was a positive thing, but she was sent to a foster home, and in the foster foster home her and this this foster home had maybe eight to ten different children in it uh, at any given time and they were essentially child labor they had to do chores basically all day from the morning to the night whenever they weren't at school they had to do chores around the house they had to do all the laundry do all the cleaning uh they were essentially used as slave labor and there was this fear of saying you know denying you know not doing the chores or or saying anything against these these other parents who were somewhat verbally abusive as well because the alternative was they were going to get sent back to i'm not sure the term but it's sort of like a I want to call it a halfway house or something like that. That's not the term, but where kind of the really bad kids are, where you go when you're in between uh, waiting for a foster home. So, I mean, we can put it out there. Oh, great. This kid's removed from this bad situation, but you don't think about, oh, what's the other bad situation they might be put into? 
Yeah, and if you go in and take a look at some of the schools, they also stick these foster kids in uh, afterwards. So it depends on the area that you're in, whether the child's going to end up going to a public school around the given area, wherever the foster home is, or whether they're going to go to one of these rehabilitation centers, whereby you have kids who are supposedly misbehaving being stuck on massive amounts of psychotropic medications. So think about taking a kid out of his home, out of his community, away from his friends, away from his normal school, and you stick him in a really devastating situation. You remove him from his parents, and you throw him in these foster homes. And these foster homes, a lot of those kids, well, they have a lot of problems too. And the abuse that I mentioned, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse that's happening in these foster homes, a lot of times that's actually from foster kids themselves. So to add on to this, foster homes are granted more money depending on if, if the child has any kind of disabilities. In these cases, it can be considered a mental disability. So the foster home is being granted more money to put this child on psychotropic drugs. Plus, it keeps them quiet. It keeps them zombified, which can allow for 8 to 10 kids to be in one home. And the parent, foster parent, getting in quite a bit of money, to be quite honest. Now, he's misbehaving. He's misguided. You throw him in one of these facilities where the kid's not really learning anything, where he is being institutionalized, where he's being drugged and he's being abused and he's being treated terribly. Put all these things together, right? You can't look at that and go, yep, that's the best we can do because it's not. It's absolutely not. And it is a tragedy that this stuff doesn't get brought up more. There are over 400,000 children in CPS care. That's how many. We get on our Facebook timelines those cases where a cop beats up a black guy or when some, you know, some silly thing happens in politics where someone spends a bit too much money on some kind of military defense contract. And those are awful. But these stories are not being told because the majority of these cases are in impoverished homes. They're in minority homes. In many cases, they're people who don't even speak English. They don't have a voice. And... When I'm asked why I'm going so strong against this, why I'm not asking for some kind of reform, why I'm not, you know, towing the line with maybe I can team up with this one Republican to do something. Well, take a look at Arizona, where they supposedly got rid of Child Protective Services. You can look up, uh, just Google that. What was fascinating was they said, we're going to defund Child Protective Services. Now, I knew this was bullshit the moment I saw that no investigators were protesting. There was no supervisors protesting. No one was protesting. Why is that? Because all they did was rename the agency. They just renamed it. Because if they are actually going to fire anyone, well, that senator, that congressman, that mayor, that governor, well, they'd immediately be booted out. Be booted out. Because there's no real change in politics because the political system is not in our favor. It is a parasite. CPS is simply a microcosm of the state, which is why I'm so strong with this anarchist stuff. It's because these people aren't just evil, right? And the, they think about kidnapping and raping kids all day because they're not. It's the system in place that destroys these families. It's a system in place that destroys the lives of millions of people because it's not just this 400,000 kids who have been removed. It's the three to six million cases a year that CPS goes and investigates. 
it's the ass clenching by every single one of those parents not knowing whether or not leaving their child to play outside for five minutes will end up ruining their lives. Is that something that could actually start start a CPS investigation, just having your kids playing outside? That seems so crazy to me. I, mean, I did that throughout my whole childhood. Finally, the news is actually starting to cover some of this stuff. Lenore Skenazy, I don't know if you know from Free Range Kids, really great writer. She uh, She works for Reason. She covers a lot of this stuff, but I mean, I went after kids for riding bikes outside two to three blocks away from their homes because, well, we don't know if they're going to be safe, but we know they're going to be safe on psychotropic drugs and forced labor camps known as public education and being fat, being fed by genetically modified organisms and sitting on their ass all day. That's safe, not riding your bike. So how does a case like that begin? Does someone see a kid riding a bike in the neighborhood and think to themselves, oh, my God, this this kid is so unsafe. His parents are terrible. They're letting him out to play. Who knows what could happen? And then they pick up the phone and either call the police who call CPS or maybe they call CPS directly. Is that that how something like that starts? Basically, just anybody can send in a tip. You pretty much nailed it on the head there. Um, I was hoping I was wrong, but (laughs) no, no. It's just as bad as you think it is. Actually, it's worse. Um, So a reporter can actually be anonymous or they can name themselves. When you think about um, if someone says someone else murdered someone and they know for a fact it was a lie and they're trying to get them convicted, what should happen to that person? Well, in my mind, at least some form of recompense, whether that be money I don't really think jail time works, but if that's how your system works, then maybe jail time. Yeah, I mean, it's fraud, essentially, if you're trying to, to do that to somebody. Yeah. Fraud, right? You're defrauding these people. Well, an anonymous reporter can call in 30, 40 times in one family. Now, every single one of those cases can be closed, but you just cause a crap ton of stress and tens of thousands of dollars being wasted on these particular investigations, including maybe tens of thousands of dollars for attorney fees of the parent's pocket. Now, I'm on my 31st case of this family. And I'm looking at this, and all of these have been ruled out, and I'm this hotshot CPS investigator. Man, no one's found it yet? I know I'm going to be the one who found it. So I'm going to make this investigation even longer and destroy even more lives when it comes to this. Right? This is how it works. This is the game. And when no one is being held accountable, not investigators, because whenever they do anything wrong, everyone just says, they're overworked. They have too many cases. They're not paid enough. They're working too many hours. They always have an excuse. The supervisors always have an excuse. It's usually they don't have enough money or too many workers. And the people making the reports, well, they're not going to get in trouble. I think there's been like one case in the last 10 years where someone actually went to jail. And when you, when you stack all those things up, what, what do you think is going to happen out of this? What do you, you think is going to occur? You're going to get corruption. You're going to get faulty reasoning. You're going to get a lot of kids fucked over for no good reason. Let's walk through the process of how a CPS investigation works a little bit. So let's say you're, you're Carlos Morales, CPS agent. You get this case. Um, you know, little Johnny was out riding his bike. It's been reported that they think his parents are neglectful. So what's the first step in this process? What sort of powers do CPS agents have that might differentiate them from, say, a normal law enforcement investigation? Well, they have the power to fly and they can shoot lasers out of their eyes. No. <laughs> now that would be really scary. That would be horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I can see the abuse. I'm going to shoot you with my lasers. So the case essentially starts where someone makes in a phone call. This can be a professional. So it can be, say, a mandatory reporter like a doctor, a nurse, or a teacher. Or it can be an anonymous reporter, maybe a nosy neighbor. Or it can be a legitimate person who's like, hey, I know this person is being physically or sexually abused or that the parents are supposedly using marijuana. Now, keep in mind that 80% of removals are not for physical or sexual abuse, but rather they are for negligence. Negligence can mean the kid's too fat, the kid's playing outside, 
or in many cases is actually for something like marijuana use, like the parent admitted to using marijuana, say, three or four years ago. Maybe even before they had children. Yeah, depending on the estimates, uh, Child Welfare Report of 2012. I looked over a few other ones, and I cite – I have, I think, 82 citations in my book, which is only 100 pages, um, trying to figure out all the different things. But it's anywhere from like 30 to 40 percent of these cases for removals are actually for marijuana use, including in states like California and Colorado and Washington, where it's supposedly legal to smoke weed. They can still get you for negligence. Just want to clarify this. Even if a person, an adult, has a, a full medical license to use marijuana for an actual medical condition, say they have cancer and they're using marijuana, yep. that can be considered neglect of their child if they're doing that. Yeah. Unbelievable. I brought up some cases of what, what it's called. Um, I mean, there's different terms for it. One of them is called medical kidnapping. It's whenever they take them from the hospital. Say, like, uh, I had a case where I was in a neonatal intensive care unit and supposedly a uh, woman had tested positive for marijuana while she was pregnant, like, I think three months in. By the time the fifth and sixth month tests got checked, she was already clear. I mean, she didn't have any more drugs in her system. Basically, she was like, yeah, I smoked some weed before I even knew I was pregnant, right? And that's and she was a larger woman, so the, the drug standard system, anywhere from like two to three months, depending. When I went to the neonatal test of care unit right after she, she has the kids, bam, immediately kidnapped the, uh, the baby. I mean, that's what it is, right? If it's financially incentivized removals, that's called kidnapping, right? I take this child away from the parent. And they knew it was coming. They're like, yep, uh, CPS, that's what you guys do. You take away kids for marijuana use. So the, the report can come from a number of different people. Now, from there, it gets thrown over to the supervisor. Something like 30 to 32% of cases are immediately thrown out, as in like it doesn't look like it's real abuse or there's been a lot of false allegations regarding this person. Then the supervisor hands over that information to an investigator. The investigator gets the report. So it'll say um, – AP, the uh, alleged perpetrator of the abuse, usually it's just the parent, um, say does negligence, physical abuse, sexual abuse, one of these three. It's, it's a broad definition of what they consider abuse. And then it has a report giving them some information, social security numbers if they have it, what particular public school they have or whatever else. Now from there, the first person I'm trying to get um, an interview with if I'm an investigator is not the parent, but it's actually the kid. Reason being, you want to make sure that the parent doesn't prep the kid on what to say or what not to say. Because according to the CPS and the state of Texas and all other states, the state owns the child. The parent does not own the child. It's called parents patrae. It's basically – it's a 1696 legal term that gives the king or government uh, the right to protect all those who cannot take care of themselves. How paternalistic is that? Now, I go to the public school. I ask the kid a variety of questions ranging from what's your favorite color to who's your favorite teacher. Basically, softball questions supposedly – uh, keep this kid calm. Um, it doesn't work. And I also asked the kid if he is willing to have the interview recorded, which is funny. That means a four or five year old is capable of consent to something they don't understand. But then again, they pledge allegiance to a flag when they don't know what any of those words mean or what the flag actually means. So it's funny what we give kids responsibility for and what things we don't allow them to be responsible for. So then I can ask leading questions to this kid like um, how often does your father touch your penis, right? How often are you hit? Those are called leading questions because there isn't a no. There's an assumed yes in the question. Now, was I told to always use leading questions? No, I was not. Does that mean that I was free from using leading questions? 
Absolutely not. A lot of people ask leading questions, whether knowingly or unknowingly, because guess what? You don't know this case. You don't know these people. But when you go out, you already have an assumption in your head that this person is an abuser. The guilt is presumed, essentially. Absolutely. So I just get leading questions or anything else, and you can look up some of the problems with this in my book. I bring up that problems with eyewitness testimony, which eyewitness testimony is crap. And any legal system that bases the majority of their cases off eyewitness testimony is about as scientific as trying to assume someone's intelligence by looking at the dimples on their brain. It's absurd. Um, now, from there, I go ahead and I go talk to the parent. I use kind of abusive tactics to try to get out information. I'm disingenuous about my legal rights. So, for instance... If your report is anonymous, I cannot get a warrant to go into their house, right? But I can act like I have a right to go into their house. So whenever I go into this parent's house, I'm looking for everything. Is there a knife anywhere? Is there a liquor bottle? Is there any weed? Then I'm trying to get any kind of information I can from the parent, especially information that doesn't even pertain to the case. We're, in fact, told don't bring up the case until later on. So they will trust you. So... Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Jones, uh, did you ever smoke like marijuana when you were younger? You know, crazy kids. I did it. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did. Yeah. Because they're trusting you, right? Well, I'm, you, I'm getting all this information to build a case against these people. Because people, for some reason, don't think of CPS investigators like they think of the cops. I'm just some young idiot without a gun, right? I just have a little laminate instead of a badge. So they trust me. And using all the information I got from their trust... Whether or not you would consider it abuse, I can get that removal without even proving that the first allegation was even true. It could be something totally unrelated that you yeah. found just in your normal discourse and your conversation with them. Yeah, it's like stop and search, right? Or yeah. stop and frisk or whenever a cop pulls over someone for going over a stop sign. Only it's worse because you're in their home. Yep. I'm in their house. And that's why I say whenever a Child Protective Service investigator comes to interview you, you don't allow for private interviews with your kid. You don't admit to anything unless... Um, it has to do with your case. Lie if it's necessary, right? Don't say I smoked weed when I was in college. Don't, hell, don't even answer the question. What does this have to do with my case whatsoever? Don't admit the prior domestic violence from five years ago when you were dating some scumbag and he left him, right? Don't admit to that. That person doesn't need to know any of this information, but they can use all the information against you. Recognize this person is your enemy, right? This person can ruin your life. This person can cost you $200,000 in court fees for something that never even happened. This is the enemy. They are the domestic terrorists in the United States. The quicker we realize that, the quicker we're going to be able to get out of the shackles of this system that is destroying life after life after life on a constant basis. Now, Carlos, you mentioned financial incentives a little bit earlier. So what is the financial incentive for a CPS agent? Can people expect higher promotions? You know, the more kids they remove, does the agency receive greater budgets? The more children they remove from homes? How does that, how does the financial incentive play into this? The great part of a bureaucracy is that no one ever has to take responsibility, right? So if I get just a straight up bonus for every single kid I remove, that's going to look bad in paperwork. But if the agency gets four to $6,000 for every kid that is quickly moved from the parent and into a now permanent change of household, i.e. with strangers, that agency is granted federal funds of four to $6,000 for every single child, depending on the state. You can look up the records. What set this in motion was called the 1997 State Family Adoption Act. Now, prior to this, there was still federal funding for removals. All of this made it, the whole thing skyrocket quite a bit because you were offering these massive incentive packages, right? For kidnapping. 
So that is that is part of it. Now, as far as the investigators are concerned, if you're not getting a certain amount of removals, that means you're supposedly not doing your job because according to the CPS, there's a, a radical amount of abuse going on out there. And hey, if you make your definition of abuse broad enough, it looks like it. If you call driving a crime, then it looks like there's tons of crime going out there. If you call marijuana use a crime, well, it turns out there's tons of crime going on out there. And so... If you're not getting a certain amount of removals, well, that'll look bad on you. Maybe you won't be upgraded after a year. So I was like, um, I'm trying to remember. I was a child protective service investigator number two, but you could go up to like number six or seven, depending on how many years you were there. Like it would kind of, it would go up and up. And that, that was actually a pay increase that was going on. So when you start out, uh, when I started out, I'm thinking I was making like 36 or 38, somewhere along those lines. Uh, but after about four years, you can get the 64 to $68,000. Um, so that's how they kind of handle it. So it doesn't quite look just like a mafia, but it really is just the mafia. So the incentive is not to find the truth of a case. You don't get, you don't, not going to get any promotions for just finding out that someone is innocent, that they did nothing wrong, but you are going to get those promotions and that, that greater uh, salary for removing children. Yeah. Yeah. And I contend that they don't know how to hell to find the truth, right? Two months of training. What the hell does this person know? Nothing. They don't know anything at all. And, I mean, that's been proven time and time and time and time again by the way these investigators work. Uh, Carlos, we only have a few minutes left. I just want to touch quickly on, I mean, I know you, you refer to yourself as an anarchist. So in sort of the anarchist society, a society without a coercive government, how do you see, because this is the big concern you'll get, you'll hear from a lot of people. I know a lot of people that are fully on board with libertarianism or may not fully, but in many ways uh, on board, but they, you know, they say, well, what about children? What about cases of child abuse? So how do you see that playing out in a society without a CPS, without a centrally organized coercive body that's just out there trying to help children, even though we discussed that that's not really what they're doing. One of the biggest problems with the state is that whenever it takes over any particular field, within one generation, everyone thinks that it couldn't have existed, that service couldn't have existed without the state, right? As soon as they monopolize, they make it a bureaucracy, they institutionalize it within academia and within government, which convinces everyone that they don't have any responsibility of taking care of themselves. They did the exact same thing with public education. When you take a look at the history of public education, you see people becoming more and more literate, actually. If you take a look at uh, prior to public education being institutionalized in every single place, like the early 1900s, you'll notice an incredible amount of literacy of these particular individuals. After two generations, everyone is convinced that everyone within public, uh, before public education was basically retarded cavemen. If you take a look at prior to Social Security being implemented, old people were actually being taken care of by earlier generations of those family members. They weren't just starving in the street. They weren't all dying. Within two generations, everyone thinks that Social Security, before it, every single old person was just dying. They think of the same thing of welfare. Before welfare, poverty was going down by 1% every single year since World War II, right? And then after that, everyone thinks that everyone was starving and poor. Same thing with Child Protective Services. Prior to Child Protective Services being institutionalized, community people, people within the community, you know, friends, family, they looked after one another. Now everybody looks for an external authority figure to take care of all their particular problems. I'm not going to go stepping on anyone abusing their kids. I'll call the state in order to do it. There is not a central plan that I can give you for exactly how it's going to be replaced because I'm against central planning. That's the entire problem right there. I know that community building, though, whether that's – I work with the uh, Free State Project in New Hampshire. There's also the Blue Ridge Liberty Project in Asheville, North Carolina. There's a number of other – stuff kind of going on around the country 
Within those, there's enough trust within the community to actually bring up these issues. Why is the abuse occurring? Is it because you're dealing with impoverished people? Well, the welfare state is making sure that's institutionalized. Or, honestly, who is the biggest child abuser in the country? It's the government. It is public education. It is psychotropic drugs. It is foster homes. It is child protective services. Those are the big ones. So it's kind of like saying, well, without the military-industrial complex, how are we going to be protected? Well, the government doesn't protect people. It kills people. And that's what CPS does. If this seems in any way like I'm dodging the question, trust me, I'm not. I just simply state in the same way that I would not state, well, without the DEA, how are heroin addicts going to be protected? I'm not going to make the argument, well, without CPS, how are children going to be protected? Because I make the claim and statistics show CPS does not protect children. Right. Your argument is that this is clearly wrong. The way this is organized, funded, incentivized, all of it is wrong. And that's what you're out there doing. And we certainly appreciate the work you're doing out there, Carlos. This is a very important issue. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just run through all the ways people can find your book and uh, find your podcast. Feel free to promote anything else you got going on. Yeah, I got plenty of stuff now. So um, there is Child Protective Services Victim Support. That is on Facebook. Okay. You can contact some of our people there. Thankfully, over the last, like, year or so, uh, that Facebook group is actually really great for learning about new news about Child Protective Services. And I actually have some great people working with me, parents, attorneys as well, who are helping out individuals with Child Protective Services. You can also find my book, which is three bucks for the ebook, eight bucks for the paperback, about as cheap as I could possibly do it, at legallykidnapped.net. That explains exactly what CPS does, their history, their motives, their incentives, as well as Really practical tips on how to deal with child protective services in your own life. Now, as far as a political and philosophical concern, I also run something called the Libertarian Atheist Podcast. Well, you can imagine what that's about. Sometimes we're talking about CPS, but a lot of times we're just talking about the bigger picture. What are ethics? Where do they come from? How are they derived? Why religion is the enemy? Why the state and the church are synonymous with one another? We also have a Facebook group and a Facebook page for the Libertarian Atheist Podcast as well. That is my passion. I update that stuff like twice a week. We have new podcasts. I had Richard Grove on recently, a great uh, libertarian. I had Brett Manat, MK Lords, a lot of good folks. So definitely check that out. Great stuff, man. Carlos Morales, keep up all the great work, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely, man. Wow. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Carlos Morales. I've got my own thoughts in the last roar coming up in a second. But first, I want to touch on something not so serious, and that's the humorous gear produced by our friend Dan McCall over at LibertyManiacs.com. It is election season, my friends, and you can find all sorts of electoral gear over at the electoral dysfunction section. So if you're a Donald Trump fan, a Rick Santorum fan, well, why are you listening to this show, guys? No, but if you're a fan of making fun of these guys, poking fun at all the candidates out there, let me tell you, libertymaniacs.com is the place for you. And as a listener of the show, you can receive a 10% discount off your entire order by using the discount code Lions of Liberty. That's all one word, guys. Lions of Liberty at checkout. So head on over to libertymaniacs.com and wear something worth saying. And guys, if you follow the news, you may have heard that insurance premiums are set to rise once again by some estimates by up to 50%. But there is a way to control the costs, and that is by rejecting this current health insurance paradigm altogether and joining up with a health sharing plan. Our friends over at Health Excellence Select have put together a package with everything you need to control your own health care and to do so without breaking the bank. 
How on earth is this possible? Well, there's one way to find out. That's by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health for more information. Now, let's talk about this CPS thing for a minute, because this is something I run into a lot when discussing the ideas of liberty, when trying to promote a more free society, uh, when talking about how we don't need a coercive government to necessarily take care of a lot of the concerns we have in life. I do think we need governance and government in the in the sense that humans have the right to you know join their property to form systems of law, any disputes, systems to adjudicate natural law, violation of rights, and that sort of thing. But these systems need to be funded non coercively. And once you sort of inject that coercion into the system, it's kind of the the trickle up coercion is the way I see it. You know, when we accept the initial coercion in a system, that's going to really taint the entire process. It's going to taint every anything that system produces. And in the case of CPS, that system is so tainted and it really does affect society in, in a very grand scale. Because when we're talking about child abuse, and when there are certain cases of actual child abuse, at the end of the day, if a kid is being beaten, abused, or what have you, he should be removed from his parents. And there should be some way to do that. Now, obviously, as we discussed today with Carlos, this is not the way CPS goes about things, is, is not even really concerned with that, what they are concerned with. And this is based on that perverse incentive that there is. It's, it's extremely perverse incentive. Now, this is when I, I take issues with people who will just want, in our current system, they'll just say, take the free market and let them handle everything. But, you know, we have private systems that are using our current coercive system when using the perverse incentive of the fact that they make more money the more people they land in jail. So you have these private prisons going around lobbying for more drug laws, lobbying against marijuana legalization, because when you make this stuff legal, well, uh uh-oh, that's going to affect the bottom line. That's going to affect the number of people that get put in these jails. It's the same thing with CPS. You know, the incentive is perverse. The incentive is not find actual cases of abuse and protect children. The incentive is simply remove the children from the home. Because when the child is removed from the home, as Carlos stated, the agency gets four to $6,000. And when the agency is getting more money, you know, obviously the people that are helping to bring that money in more are going to get the promotions, are going to see their salaries rise. And the whole agency just continues to bloat and bloat and bloat. And the incentive simply becomes, get these kids out of there. Find a reason. Go talk to them. Go be their buddy. Go ask them if they used to smoke weed. Oh, we can use that. Even if that's not what what the random neighbor down the street called for. And obviously there are many cases of actual abuse. I don't want to deny that those exist, but uh, based on Carlos' experiences and, and many other experiences that are that have been out there in the news, a lot of this stuff is nothing that would be considered abuse by normal, rational human beings, such as playing outside and riding your bike. These are things I did as a child all the time. Now, a lot of these things might depend on your neighborhood. If you don't live in a good neighborhood, it might not be smart to let your kid just run outside with their friends. But you know, where I grew up was a pretty good neighborhood, and I went out, and I was allowed to go go to my neighbor's house and, and play with our friends, and we were allowed to go ride bikes and come back when it when it got dark i mean it was, it was pretty simple and we were all of course taught to you know not get in a stranger's van and all of that stuff and, and taught ways to look out for people that might want to harm you we are actually taught to ask questions you know if somebody said oh i'm here to pick you up from school i'm a friend of your parents we were taught not to listen to them or taught to you know ask them more questions to find out who they are and essentially you know if we didn't know somebody don't get in the car with them 
You know, simple safety, stuff like that, that parents can rely on children. You know, children are not just mindless robots wandering around the world. I actually listened to my parents when they said that stuff because I didn't want to be kidnapped. And yet we have the system here with CPS where kidnapping is essentially legalized. Legallykidnapped.net, of course, where you can find Carlos's work. And we'll link to that over on the show notes for the show at lionsofliberty.com slash 132. But, you know, this is something that is so terrible to see children just rip from their parents in cases where, where clearly the parent has not harmed anyone. When you have a parent using medical marijuana prescribed by a doctor, legal in their state, and yet they can have their child removed from them without any sort. I mean, this is – we don't really get into it too much, but this stuff goes through family court. It's not regular court. It's not the same as a regular trial where they have to follow the same rules. They can interview a, a child, give them leading questions, use that as a statement against the parents, and before you know it, that child has gone into some foster home where they might also be abused by other children, where they might be given psychotropic drugs to handle all the issues they're having. And how many messed up human beings is this producing? And I, I don't know how to answer that question. The, the answer is a lot, is my guess. And this has to be put an end to, because this is child abuse. This is parent abuse. It's human abuse. And this stuff, this stuff needs to stop. That's why I do this show. That's why I continue to do this show. Even when times get tough, even when I'm busy in life, I'm going to give you guys these two podcasts a week, every single Monday and Thursday, published over at lionsofliberty.com. Of course, the best way to hear the show is to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe over on Stitcher Radio if you don't have an iPhone. And if you do subscribe, please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. Hopefully a five-star rating. Hopefully a great review. Or else why would you still be listening right now? But if you do that, that's a great way to help expand the show, to get it in front of more, well, more eyes, more ears, I guess you might say, to get more people talking about these extremely important issues. You can, of course, find us on social media as well, facebook.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. I'd like to invite you over if you'd like to discuss this stuff privately. You can do that in our private group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. It doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is send a request. I'll look at you and say, all right, that guy looks legit, and I'll let you in to discuss these issues. You can talk to myself in there, interact with our other contributors, discuss these podcasts, give us suggestions for future guests, things you'd like to hear on the show. We want to build a community for you guys to interact with us in. You can, of course, also find us on the Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. And you can find all our past episodes. If you're new to this show, you can go back and find the full catalog at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. As I mentioned, the show is published every single Monday and Thursday here at lionsofliberty.com. You can also hear us at libertytalk.fm on the weekends, 6 p.m. Eastern, every single Saturday and Sunday, as well as throughout the week at lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network. There are just so many ways to hear my wonderful voice. And you will continue to hear this voice this coming Thursday, along with another voice, that of Lions of Liberty contributor Brian McWilliams, who will be joining me for another edition of Rand Pluses and Minuses. Rand Pluses and Minuses, our look at Rand Paul. And of course, there's a lot to talk about with him lately. We just are coming off the GOP debate. Of course, you can go back and hear our instant reaction to that debate at episode 130. If you just tick back in your iTunes feed or head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash 130, you can hear our full reaction to that GOP debate. But we will be doing a little more analysis of Rand Paul, of the fallout from the debate, and how his political prospects are looking. So tune in then. Until then, folks, live long and live free.